Welcome to Mental Health Film Comment. This is Brian here with you. The 1970 film MASH, and I, I just off the record, I, I hope nobody listening is just finding out like right at this moment that MASH was originally a movie, which it was, a 1970 directed <laughs> yeah. by Robert Altman, uh, ostensibly about Vietnam and, and a lot of the, the themes and, and whatnot, but as it relates to the movie, Korean War, um, surgical uh, mobile hospital, hence the, the name, Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. And this is a comedy, uh, a comedy that depending on who you ask has, has aged well or not aged well. Uh, I don't know if controversial would apply, but, but it, it, it might. Uh, joining us today to talk about how suicide is not painless is um, mental health comedian um, Frank King. Uh, Frank, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. I'm delighted to be here. You know what I was thinking about? Uh, this is never a movie, but Hogan's Heroes exactly. was yeah. a, a television show. Uh, yeah. Never a movie like Masters, a movie first. Yeah. Uh, but you think about that. I mean, we're, it's, a, it's a sitcom. I wish I could have been in that pitch meeting. Okay, here's the deal. <laughs> you know, because it wasn't that far past the Second World War. I mean, there's still people alive, yeah, yeah. you know, obviously who, you know, yeah. uh, were in Nazi, Nazi concentration camps. And here we have a Nazi prisoner <laughs> war camp. And it's a comedy. I just, I would have loved to been in that pitch meeting to, to hear and how then, they, Yeah, and then in, in the, you know, can it get any stranger, Bob Crane. Yes, Bob Crane, Lord. who many people know had... Uh, uh, a very uh, strange and curious uh, assortment of extracurricular uh, activity. Activity, yes. Which... Like really the clean-cut American <laughs> uh, bomber pilot or whatever who got captured by the you know the Germans in the Second World War. You know what's funny though? Um, you know, poor choice of words, obviously, in, in the context of uh, you know Bob Bob Crane. But he was in some of those live-action Disney movies, like you know the early. Uh, really. Yeah, he was in a couple of them, and those are actually pretty good. They're they're kind of really funny and like uh like a Freaky Friday or you know yeah. that that sort of like kooky, um sort of um Disney type type yeah stuff. the computer war tennis shoes yeah uh, yeah stuff, stuff like that yeah um but um yeah so I, like I said I, I did want to um bring you on and, and have you on the show today um now I, I did want to mention also a, a couple of resources I, I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt but I I, I do yeah. want to um do you, do you remember the, the movie uh Private Parts where where yes, Howard Stern uh, the Howard Stern yeah where he sort of is is required by uh by the station to do like different station IDs so he's like in the middle of a thought that sort of feels like when, when I sort of stick to, stick to the script. So, so in the in that in that light, just a, a brief interjection uh, for those who are going through a hard time today and may need to reach out. There are a couple different crisis text lines in the U.S. You can text home, H O M E, to seven four one seven four one. In the U.K., you can text shout S H O U T to eight five two five eight. Depending upon where you are in the world, uh, check your local listings, as they say. So um, that said, um, yeah. Now, do you agree with that characterization I gave uh, of Mash as far as, uh, the movie Mash, as far as being uh, not quite controversial, but sort of in a way? 
Like I, 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 again, I think you know it's a comedy about the about the Korean War. Correct. Uh, it wasn't um, uh, everything quiet on the Western Front where it was farcical. It was, you know, I mean, it was they were portraying what the uh, the writers believed went on in a mobile army, um, Moby mobile army surgical hospital. Uh, and I think you're right. I think it had there were overtones of Vietnam because um, there was never a television show, as far as I know, about Vietnam. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think it's, oh, there were several about World War II, actually. Because um, I'm old, 64 years old. So I remember, you know, 12 o'clock high yeah. and combat and yeah. rat patrol. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, I think it was, I think it was slightly controversial at the time, and there was some verbiage in there. There was a, a, a black um, football player, I think, that was part of the surgical unit, and his nickname was Spear Chucker, which, having been from the that, South, um, that was that was a bit of a pejorative back, you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, there are things in there, but I, I'm not one to you know they want to take they, they want to not show Gone with the Wind. Okay, look. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to realize when it was made. Yeah. Maybe have some preamble. Uh, give some context before you play, you know, the, you know, it's like, it's like yeah. Mark Twain. I mean, yeah. um, the film would not be the same book if, if it said African-American Jim. Um, because yeah. Well, well, yeah. Well, for me, it's, um, and I can imagine people listening right now are probably really confused. We're talking about mental health. <laughs> <laughs> but but the thing that always gets me is every few years, if not you know months or whatever the case may be, there is a, a celebrity or whoever who says something stupid, and I always look at that and I say, okay, well, there's someone who grew up in the South or grew up wherever, and they're from you know wherever, and it's like, yeah, and and and. and? It's like, and you know so yeah that's always my, my my reaction a lot of times it's like okay yeah <laughs> yeah i think the trick is to grow with the times yeah yeah i mean the things that you know things that people did and i, I believe you know every now and then somebody gets a they they somebody posted a photograph of somebody else in blackface at some fraternity party okay well you know what it was the 70s i'm sure if they could go back in time and change it one would hope uh, they would would not do that. And then let's see how they live their life in between time. I mean, did they become a better person over time? Yeah. So there's some sort of statute of limitations for youthful indiscretions like that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, back to the movie. I think I think the movie was somewhat controversial at the time. It was a comedy about the war, and and of course the song. I don't know if the title is "Suicide Is Painless," but that's one of the lyrics in the song, uh, and it's central to the movie. The gentleman wants to die by suicide because. Yeah, yeah, can't you know? Can't yeah, perform. yeah. Some uh, some some health issues that were yeah. going e on. Um, I mean, uh, ED, erectile dysfunction. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, you know, just take a little yellow pill, a little blue pill, it'll be fine. Uh, yeah. Don't overdose on them, for God's yeah. sake. But yeah. um, so now that we've gotten like the you know the huge elephant in the room you know acknowledge for those who might be listening because i always I, i'm always err on the side of if people are wondering if we're going to talk about something talk about it you know what i mean yeah and they'll, they'll, so now that we, we, we've done so let's keep the um meeting agenda or you know that, that's a little formal doesn't it let's yeah, keep the, but, the podcast meeting agenda in but order. like radio you don't want to tease something and then then not talk about it yeah yeah 
exactly. Um, but 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 um, yeah. So I, I did want to ask you like like the obvious. I guess what what set you on, on your journey into the uh, you know the wild and wonderful world of uh, mental health. Yeah, suicide prevention. Well, and people often ask that. You know, is comedy uh, a coping mechanism? No, uh, I was I, I was born funny and and born with what's called generational depression and suicide. My grandmother died by suicide. My great aunt, my mother. I came close enough that I can tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like. Um, spoiler alert: I did not pull the trigger. Yeah. Um, which usually gets an uncomfortable laugh from the audience. <laughs> and then I followed up with a story about a friend of mine who came up to me at a keynote. He'd never heard me say, I didn't pull the trigger out loud. He said this and I quote, hey man, how come you didn't pull the trigger? And, hey man, could you try to sound slightly less disappointed? That's the kind of thing, yeah. that's, that's comedy and mental health. Um, I became a comedian full-time day after Christmas, 1985. I asked my girlfriend then, my wife now of 33 years, hey, I'm going on the road to be a stand-up comedian. I got 10 weeks in clubs booked. Do you want to come along? Figuring she'd go, no. And she said, yes. So we gave up our apartment, our jobs, put everything in storage. We couldn't fit into my tiny little Dodge Colt and took off. We were on the road for 2,629 nights in a row, nonstop. No home, just comedy club to comedy club for seven yeah. years. So after that, did some radio. For about 18 months, got fired, as you do in radio. Two kinds of people in radio, people who've been fired, people who are going to be fired. Oh, so true. So true. Yeah. Uh, and and, I, and I, I took a number one morning show and drove it to number six in 18 months, one of my proudest accomplishments. <laughs> a friend of mine goes, you didn't drive that into the ground. You drove that in the Middle Earth, uh, which I did. And then the comedy club thing was waning. So I was always very clean as a comic. So I made the jump to the corporate comedy circuit, the rubber chicken circuit after dinner, after lunch at conferences. I rode that way for about seven years until there were no longer than that, from 95 to 2007-ish. Recession, bookings drop off 80%. We filed bankruptcy, lost everything we worked for in 25 years of marriage. And that's when I came so close to killing myself. And when speaking came back, the meeting planner said, Frank, we love you but we can't pay that kind of money anymore just to be funny. You got to teach the audience something. Well, I'm thinking, what in the world do I have to teach anybody? Then I began looking at my mental health history, my family's mental health history. And I thought, you know what? If I got some training, I could teach suicide prevention. The catch was, I've been a funny guy for decades. And everybody thinks of me as a comedian. So how am I going to rebrand? Well, my wife goes, do a TEDx. And I said famously, what's a TEDx? I'm getting ready to record my sixth one this weekend uh, on mental health. So I did my first TEDx on mental health. I came out on stage at age 56 as depressed and suicidal. Nobody knew my family, my wife, my friends. I just came out as I said, I've got two conditions, major depressive disorder, chronic suicidal ideation and told my story. And then I, at the end, I said, okay, now here's your first lesson on mental health first aid, which I'd taken mental health first aid as well. I'm a big proponent of that. And uh, mentalhealthfirstaid.org, I think, or .com, I can never remember. But they've got a class, uh, it's like Mental Health 101, eight hours. It's very inexpensive, $5, $10, maybe $25 at the outside. And if it's live, they throw in lunch at pizza. <laughs> eight hours, and it's just a great- And that's program. done online as I-, as I Yeah, more nowadays. Heard. Okay. Uh, but when I took it, they had live instructors. And I imagine they will again at some point have live events. Um, and even a lot of it was 25 bucks and they threw in the pizza. So 
that's how I got into speaking. And what I discovered was when I was preparing for the first TEDx talk, even though one person dies in the U.S. suicide every nine minutes, hardly anybody talks about it unless you bring it up and then everybody's got a story. And so that's what my clients tell me almost always when I get there, they go, look, we just brought you in here to start the conversation on suicide. Because what I've discovered is, you know, nobody talks about it. But if you bring it up, man, everybody's got a story. I even allow an extra half an hour after I'm done, because oftentimes people, they have questions they don't want to ask in the Q&A in front of everybody. So I tell them, look, if you got a question, you know, you want to ask in private, I'll hang out until everybody gets their questions answered. And sometimes it's a couple of people. Sometimes it's eight people lined up. So it's, it's, and I find it very rewarding because maybe, you know, some cases we've steered people far enough off the path of suicide, they'll live a normal life. Yeah. Do you think, where do do you think there's, you know, just the right amount of humor in in a lot of mental health um, circles? Do you think there needs needs to be more or where? where More, (laughs) more, lots more. Well, you know, people ask me, uh, does being a comedian hold you back from getting bookings, speaking on suicide prevention? I go, no, you got it backwards. They want the lived experience, which I have. They want the learning objectives, you know, teach them something. And the humor, they're just thrilled. There's somebody out there who knows what they're talking about. They can make it, you know, with funny personal anecdotes, not jokes. Yeah. yeah. But it's a lot easier to digest if you can. There's a psychological principle that if you have to tell somebody something really serious, you tell them that serious thing. And then if you can give a little comic relief, then their brain is ready, more ready for the next serious piece of business. So, you know, we try to integrate it in as we go to give a little, well, they call it comic relief for a reason. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it makes it a lot more digestible, a lot more comfortable it, to talk about. And, and you mentioned that term, um, comic relief, for those who don't know, you're talking about that benefit uh, from the, you know, the 80s era. I think that's still going on, as I recall, you know, in some form or whatnot. But wouldn't that be cool if there, because I've seen different um, variants of it, like in different, different towns have different, uh, like stand-up concerts. Wouldn't that be cool to see like, like a mental health, like benefit for, uh, because I see like, I've I've seen different events, like here or there, but wouldn't that be cool if there was like a, like a major event? for that oh yeah i did a minor event last week on friday night i was in grand junction colorado i did a comedy fundraiser for nami western slope in grand junction colorado cool and it was myself and there were three local comics all had some connection to the the world of mental health cool and and the in the middle of my comedy i worked in kind of the reverse of the speaking uh where it's a little bit of comedy and a lot of learning this is almost all comedy but then i worked in my own conditions and after i left a number of people approached the executive director of nami with stories <laughs> and volunteering we need to work on you know reducing stigma kind of thing yeah so it had the impact it not only raised money we raised awareness yeah absolutely and the reason i ask about that is my personal opinion and, and those who've I've talked with off mic as well as on mic. This probably won't come as a surprise, <laughs> but my my major complaint, as you know, I don't know if complaint would be the right word, but major, um, you know, and everybody has like you know their why as far as what they you know what sort of prompted them. But for me, my why has been just how how bureaucratic and how like by the book and how formal 
a lot of mental health um, I, and I've heard the word like mental health industry in, in some regards, just the whole, you know, I, I, I don't think that, that having it, ha have everything be so by the book, so formal, so cold and clinical often, I don't think that's necessarily the most helpful approach. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think two things there. One is um, the... I've had people say to me, what's, you know, what's so funny about suicide, yeah. depression and thoughts yeah. of suicide? And then also they'll say, what, what gives you the right to joke about depression, thoughts of suicide? I said, well, here's the deal. In comedy, you can make fun of any group to which you belong. Yeah. If I was neurotypical or neuronormal, I, I'd never get away with the stuff I say. Yeah. But because I'm, I've got, you know, I'm nuttier than a squirrel turd, yeah. I can get away with whatever. Yeah. And I think the second thing is, oftentimes clinicians do not reveal that they have their own issues. It's never been a written rule, but it has been sort of an unwritten rule that you didn't share that kind of information with your clients. But I find that if you share that kind of information, it's, 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 it's extremely relatable. I had a young woman come up at a college, uh, Lynchburg College, after I was done. And she said, look, Frank, um, I've been in therapy for two years. And the woman is sharp. You know, she's got the degrees on the wall. She knows what she's talking about, but she has absolutely no context. She goes, I'm listening to your little keynote. 15 minutes in, I'm thinking to myself, this guy's in my freaking head. She said, you did, you did more for me in 45 minutes than she's done for me in two years because I, she knows I've traveled the same. When I say to the audience, and uh, I came close enough to dying that I can tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like. You can see the people who have mental illness lean forward like he gets it. And the neuro neurotypical people lean back like, oh, dear God. <laughs> yeah. So I, I speak to both. Uh, I want to educate the people who are neurotypical or neuronormal who can't wrap their mind around why you would ever yeah. want to end your life. Yeah. And also speak to the people who have those issues. Correct. And, and I did want to mention for those listening who think that you're in any way making light of anything, I, I, I want to just just let people know when I've spoken with you off mic when we were, you know, talking about at no point has anything you said been, you know, making light of anyone's mm. um, quite, quite the contrary. You have been very on point as far as what it is that you're joking about and what you're not joking about. And you, so I just want to want to clarify that for those who might be listening. Yes. And, and I've had people watch my TEDx talks. And they'll send me a note on YouTube or they'll DM me on Twitter or whatever. And it, something on the order of um, what you talked about, I've, I've had, I've been thinking about for a long time. I just had, didn't have any way to put it into words. And you put my thoughts into words, describe it exactly how I, you know, I'm experiencing it. Yeah which hopefully helps the neurotypical neuronormal people understand. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's easy to feel sorry for somebody. It's harder. Empathy's harder because empathy means you, you know, you need to walk a mile in their shoes. And it's very difficult for somebody who doesn't live with depression to figure out how could that be? Yeah. And, and I just thought of something that this, this episode is go, going to be uploaded on apparently on Memorial Day. So those of you at home or wherever you may be listening, you're going to be hearing this on Memorial Day. Not only that, but at the context of a film 
that makes light of obviously not any of you know the serious very, very serious uh, stuff going on in our world but making light of a lot of the uh, just goofing off and, and being being an idiot that kind of thing that's what it's making light of you know if, if we're going to be honest um but how, how cool is that 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 this conversation though this is this is going to help people you know how cool is that you know something yeah. as innocuous as you know just we're talking right now and and, and sharing you know um insights about i mean how cool is that that something like this is going to be helping people well and i'll tell you this the because i have chronic suicidal ideation yeah. a lot of people don't know what that is i've, I've said it out loud and clinicians have stared at me like george bush at the new york times crossword puzzle <laughs> um because it's not in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of whatever with all the big, you know, the psychological illnesses. The, it mean people in my tribe, me and people in my tribe, or I and people in my tribe, suicide's always uh, on the menu as a solution for problems large and small. Yeah. And the example I give, and I always do it in my keynotes, is my car broke down a couple of years ago. I had three thoughts unbidden, get it fixed, buy a new and I just kill myself. And every time I've spoken since 2014, except once, there's been somebody in the audience who has it, has that condition, doesn't know it has a name, just think they're some kind of freak and completely alone. And their relief to find out it's a thing and other people live with it is palpable. I mean, I've had people come up, you know, crying so hard they couldn't speak after they heard me share that. I had a young woman at a college come up and say, look, um, I enjoyed your key keynote, but I got to tell you, it made me weep. I said, how did it make you weep? She said, well, you know the story about your car, get it fixed, buy a new one, just kill yourself? I've been having those thoughts all my life. I thought, you know, I didn't know it had a name. I thought it was just me and I'm some kind of freak and all alone. And when I heard you say that out loud, I realized for the first time in my life, I'm not alone. And I wept. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm still here is because if I kill myself, I mean, in theory, I would take a lot of those people with me who never got a chance yeah. to hear me simply say, you're not alone. It's the thing. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you one thing that I've noticed that you have not said, and I don't know if this is, you know, personal decision as far as not or not, but I know often when there's someone speaking that will say, you know, I'm so-and-so and I have bipolar or I have, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And you had made mention to the, the DSM and people might not realize what that is, but that basically a book of diagnostic terms or whatnot yeah. um so that's what, what the sm refers to um but i've noticed that, that when when you've um been speaking that you haven't r really referred to yourself by that diagnostic term or is that is that intentional or what's the reason that you like what, what like you know what i mean like there's like there's there's tends to be like two schools of thought or if not more as right. far as those who kind of find meaning and validation oh, when they get identify. those and then those who yeah and then those who kind of say thanks but no thanks you know I'm, you know what i mean so there's, there's there's these various schools of thought as far as that goes as far as yeah. the diagnostic yeah some people identify as almost as if that's who they are I mean, I'm Frank King and I'm bipolar. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, but um, I, it, it does not define. I, I've said many times it does not define me, but it is definitely part of me. <laughs> and I did a TEDx called "Mental with Benefits: The Evolutionary Advantages of Mental Illness," mm -hmm. and in it I say, you know, 
what if those of us with a mental illness are not living with a genetic mutation, but an amazing evolutionary adaptation? Because everybody I've ever met who wasn't completely dysfunctional, who has a mental illness, had some other talent. You know, good writer, comedian, actor, politician, something. And I thought to myself, this cannot be a coincidence. And so I realized that, that I believe that my comedic ability, imagination, um, creativity is just the flip side of my depression and thoughts of suicide because it's all the same wiring yeah. i can teach you to write stand up and perform stand up i cannot teach you to process incoming information the way my comics brain does so yeah. it, that tells me that i believe that mental illness is not a singularity but a duality a combination of mental illness and mental ableness there's a yeah. reason 30 fortune 500 companies according to 60 minutes are now hiring people on the spectrum for their one specific amazing ability. Yeah, and my my ears were perking up like <laughs> with what you were saying, and I would imagine many of the listeners, their ears perked up as well. Um, as far as that, you know, that evolutionary advantage thing that you're talking about, I and mean, that's that's kind of cool if you think about that. I mean, yeah, and it did all like I said in a whole TEDx talk on it. The the what I did was I looked back in time. Uh, read some anthropological studies and for example anthropologists believe that some of the things we consider mental illnesses now were actually survival skills back 200,000 years ago they believe that pretty much everybody was bipolar because you had four months in the summer to gather enough stuff for eight months in the winter so i mean you had to be moving and manic and and hypersexual because you need to keep the numbers up in the tribe and then when the days get longer i'm sorry shorter and colder then they wound down almost like going yeah. and hibernating yeah and, and focus on bearing and raising the children until spring and start the cycle again. So what, what back then was probably a survival skill is of course now in our, in our current culture, a uh, disability. Although I will tell yeah. you, yeah. one of the difficulties of people who are bipolar is the, the state of mania or hypomania, which is between depressive and manic, you're very productive, charismatic, energetic don't need a lot of sleep don't need to eat a lot and so it's a very seductive state of mind and so it's hard sometimes to keep people who live with bipolar on their medication because they really get a lot done yeah uh, in those states of mind the, the problem is if it slips over into manic and then into delusions and so forth then it's obviously counterproductive but now, when you've been, um, and this is Billy outreach that you're doing. I mean, I, I don't know if you take offense to the word or not, but it is many way outreach, outreach to um, those who are hurting or whatnot. And, yeah. and I was wondering, do you see more or less like like a cross section of of people, or is it more like clustered in one area, whether it's you know college age or whether it's high school age, or like does it kind of run run across the board? What what, what you've encountered? Uh, actually, depending on the, it, it, uh, for example, there are, there are cultural reasons why, why the suicide rate is higher among African-Americans, Native Americans, Alaskan-Americans, and Hispanics, because they tend not to come out to their friends and relatives that they're living with some sort of disorder, you know, depression or whatever. Yeah. Uh, younger people, thanks to the pandemic, it was bad before, it's worse now because of the social isolation and so forth, you know, the homeschooling and you know, the whole world's turned upside down. Uh, so the, the, the self-reported depression in teenagers and suicide in teenagers has spiked with the, with, the, um, with the pandemic. So, and transgender youth, 
are um, 10 times as likely to seriously consider taking their lives as their heterosexual peers, their binary peers. So yeah, it, it, it varies across all sorts of demographics. Okay. Well, um, and, and, and the, the, the tone, and I'll say this is, you know, we want to um, be, be respectful and, and, and mindful and, and considerate of the, the very serious um, topic. I, I, the reason I mentioned that is the, is, is the tone of the conversation just got like super, super serious and, and yeah. rightfully so, you know, because that, that's, you know, th- those are very um, sobering um, numbers and, and whatnot. Um, I, I did want to mention something. I did want to ask you, I had seen, um, and you've probably seen this movie as well. Um, there was a Joan Rivers documentary a few years ago um, for growing up, like, a, a piece of work, I think it was, and I wanted to, I, I, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is that that movie is still at the back of my mind because the way Joan Rivers was portrayed, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but it was, she was portrayed as someone who was extremely insecure, extremely um, worried if people would find a joke funny. Uh, you know, what people think, well, you know, do you, do you think that's a stereotype as far as comedians that they're by definition more insecure or more neurotic? Do you think that's a stereotype? I don't think it's, well, you know, stereotypes don't come out of nowhere. Um, (laughs) I do, I do a podcast called the Suicide Prevention Punchline because so many comics and other creative types die by suicide. Uh, No, I think comics will tell you, you're only as good as your last show. Yeah. So, you know, the, a friend, friend of mine said, you could do the Tonight Show one night, staying at the Beverly Hilton, and, you know, rock the place and get invited over to the couch to talk to whoever the host is. And then, you know, you're on top of the world. And then the next night, you're doing a one-nighter in Dothan, Alabama, in a beer bar, and it goes horrible, and you think to yourself, I'm in the wrong business. Yeah. I mean, it's that kind of, I can, or a good show, I can ride for a couple, emotionally yeah. for a couple of weeks. A bad yeah. show, I still... I made some bad choices in terms of content, just too serious for a closing keynote. Yeah, yeah. And one of the guys in the audience said, Frank, you know, you're on your way to a standing ovation and then you got serious. And I, I, and I, and I've, I've I'll offered, I offered to do it again for nothing if they yeah. pay my travel. I'll come yeah. back next year, I'll do a better job for free. Yeah. So yeah, so it haunts me. Uh, yeah, because I mentioned that because, um, and obviously I know who Joan Rivers was because when I was little, my parents used to let me stay up late and watch you know, tonight, whatever she was on. So I, so I knew who she was. You know, how cool is that? My parents would let me stay up late to watch. You know? But but I remember watching this movie and it would alternate between scenes where I was, you know, laughing so hard I was, I was crying. And then it alternated to scenes where like I wanted to reach into the TV screen and just give her a hug because I just felt so bad for her. It's like. <laughs> yeah, she, um, she, I actually, I actually went on her, I was on her daytime TV show. Yeah. I made a guest appearance and I wrote, and I also wrote some jokes for her and sold her some yeah. jokes as well. Yeah. Uh, and she was famous for her contract, her current yeah. contract than the one she had in the last mm-hmm. probably a couple of decades of her life. And it was a beast mm-hmm. and with all kinds of demands. And she said to somebody, look, this contract has nothing to do with you or this engagement. This has to do with all the people in my past you know, who um, held me down and derided me and told me it's not a woman's place. And she was really a pioneer yeah. in the, in, in comedy as a woman. And so, yeah, I think, I think she was probably a little insecure because of the tough. Then again, 
you know, you, you spend the much time in the trenches. Yeah. Uh, somebody, somebody else <laughs> say to me that at a corporate event, I'm going to be taking pictures. Is that going to bother you during your set? I've had guns pulled on me on stage, <laughs> chairs thrown at me. I said, as long as you don't pull the pin on a hand grenade and toss it to me, I'm good. Uh, yeah. Well, the that's, other th the other thing I wanted that. to ask you is, um, and obviously I'd made, made reference to um, you know Memorial Day being when people might be listening to this or whatnot. But the other thing I wanted to ask you is, um, t you know, doing what I can to be as timely as possible. Um, this will also be going out at a time when we're at the, the new season of a show that I, I will openly admit, I, I don't care what people think when I say this, but I look forward every year to America's Got Talent. I watch AGT religiously. Um, so that, that said, I wanted to ask you, what is your take on, you know, comics, you know, you know whatever, going on a show like AGT to... Well getting exposure are you are you where where do you stand on, on that like i tried out for it twice okay. in the very beginning and in the very beginning they were not looking for comics uh they were looking well a, a comic could say they're they were looking for geeks and freaks yeah, yeah. somebody who could you know do amazing things look physically impossible you know that kind of thing yeah. although a comic has won it and i can't remember who it was but i think a comic actually won it one year and they and they do have comedians on. I don't watch the show, but I do watch yeah. the highlights. Yeah, you know, golden buzzers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know what I mean. Though it, it's it's just always like a good boost because if someone's having a rough day, if they're if they're going through a rough rough period, and you turn it on, and and like you said, you always get that golden buzzer moments where it's like you just feel like crap you turn it on and you see you know some 80 year old who's <clears throat> doing cartwheels or you know a 90 year old who's singing you know my way you know how can you know it, it's just just a boost it's Ron, I, just, tell my TEDx, I tell my tedx coaching clients look yeah. tedx is a little bit like america's got talent in america's got talent wants somebody who's talented mm -hmm. but what they really want is somebody who's talented with an amazing backstory. Like, you know, he's been three years in prison for a crime yeah. he didn't commit. Yeah. He's a singer. He always wanted a shot. Now he's 64 and he comes out like he said and sings my way or something. Yeah. I mean, it, it, or, you know, or, you know, he would have been there last year to audition, but he's at his brother's wedding. His brother passed away. And he, so he adopted his nephew. You know, it's yeah. I love the backstories, which is I'm sure why they pick people. Yeah. When, them. when you get the whole package that, that they put on before they, come onto the stage yes nothing cool um but um what's your um and whenever i've asked people this i always have to phrase it you know how do i like like i guess i'll just ask it <laughs> there's no way for it not to sound uh but like if you could you know you know look in look in the proverbial crystal ball or read the tea leaves or whatever where do you see met the state of mental health in the next, you know, several months or in, into, you know, 2022 as, you know, the crazy, you know, COVID stuff, you know, winds, hopefully winds down and, and things winds could, down. where, where do you see that, you know, the state of mental health in, in, in the world or in, in, in the U.S.? Well, what I'm worried about is, and I haven't seen, seen any numbers yet for 2020 in terms of suicide deaths. They were predicting 40, 50, 60,000 additional deaths by suicide, um, deaths of despair, you know, out of a job, um, thrown out of their apartment or, you know, bankruptcy closed, uh, you know, they the foreclosure on their house, 
So that's what worries me is I think 2020 may have been far worse. In 2019, it was 47,000 people died by suicide. And they're expecting tens of thousands more in 2020. So I'm just holding my breath, hoping it wasn't that bad. Yeah. I think it will get better over time. Uh, although eight out of 10 people who died by suicide in the U.S. now are men, uh, mostly age 45, 54. And mostly guys who went to high school, got a good blue collar job, worked their way up to where they're making middle class wages. And then the jobs disappeared. A lot of people think they went overseas. Only 15% went overseas, roughly. 85% of those manufacturing jobs taken over by AI and robotics. Men tend to identify themselves by their job. So if one day you're shop steward in a manufacturing plant and making a good wage, the next day you're not, who are you? It's like an athlete who's been playing, you know, been, been an athlete since Pop Warner football and making it to the NFL, then blows out a, a knee or something. And yeah. next day... And my understanding is that many of those are from, you know, firearm related. Is that, have you heard that where many, many of them are from, from firearms? Uh, women attempt three times more often than men, but men tend to complete because they use a firearm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, um, and and what's funny is I don't do I don't do any editing, so when you're listening, you're going to hear exactly what's recording. There's like a there's like a little. Do you hear that too? Like I, I don't know imagining it. There's like a little like like a clicking. Yeah, something's going on in my kitchen. Yeah. Hold that. Thought. Okay, no worries. So this is the 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 joy of uh, live podcasting is you hear exactly what's going on, and um, so he's um, just stepped out just just momentarily. And uh, we'll 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 be back. But this has been um, Frank Frank King, obviously. And we're, we're yeah. gonna. That was uh, you know what that was is we have a bit of a fly problem. Yeah. Uh, and we we have actually have fly zapper. You know, it's a little box with. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, ultraviolet light bulbs huh. and a strip that's just electrified. That was oh. a a fly had landed and apparently it was fighting the, <laughs> you know the juice. <laughs> So that's an extra bonus. That's yeah. an extra bonus for everyone listening. And and this is one of the, the neat things about podcasting, right? Is if I don't do if I don't do any editing, and a lot of podcasts don't do editing because it's a very time consuming process and very and a very frustrating process too, yeah. as, you, as you, I'm sure you could attest to. So that's one of like the bonuses for those listening yeah. today. You, you hear uh, you know a, a fly making a, a cameo appearance. Yeah, and you and you're you're. I'm thinking, God, I hope he can't hear that. And you're thinking, what is that noise? And so it's like, Frank, listen, is it me or do I hear a clicking? You, you know, you know what it is. And, and, I, and I hate to make this joke because I'm probably going to offend half the listening audience. Remember that 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 fly that was on um Pence's head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. making an appearance. Making that an appearance. fly is making an appearance on on this show. That's... Yeah, it's it's you know it's cinema verite. It's it's. <laughs> You know, it, it, uh, we have 11 rescue cats, and every now yeah. and then in the middle of something, I'm recording a cat will wander yeah. by, cat tail. Like, oh, was there a cat? No, it's virtual. It's a virtual yeah. cat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Well, everything went down. Um, I did want to mention um, a, few, a few more resources. Um, I know that there is, uh, you had mentioned NAMI, National Alliance on uh, Mental Illness, NAMI.org. There's also uh, Mental Health America, MHA National.org. 
Uh, I know many people listening will want me to mention madatamerica.com, so I will <laughs> mention madatamerica.com. Haven't forgotten about you guys. Um, but how would people more learn more about the, the work you're doing? I go to the mental health comedian, the mental health comedian.com. Okay. Uh, two co-authors and I have a four book series on men's mental health. Three of the books are up on Amazon. Uh, the first one I've already narrated for audible. And if you go to my website, the mental health comedian.com, you can download a free MP3 of the entire book, me narrating it on men's mental health. Cool. cool. So very cool. Well, th- well, Frank, th- thank you so much for being here today. I, I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. And, you know, my, my goal, Brian, is to is to make talking about depression, thoughts of suicide as easy as talking about sports and the weather. Oh, absolutely. And, and hopefully this, this is um, going to go um, a way towards helping normalize all those conversations. That's my job. I want to work myself out of business. I want somebody to say to me, somebody, Frank, how come you're not speaking anymore on suicide prevention? Well, you know, people quit killing themselves. So I'm pretty much out of work. <laughs> Good deal. Well, well, thanks. Thanks again for being here. And um, thank you, those of you at home or wherever you may be. Um, stay safe, everyone. And uh, talk to you next time. Thanks, Brad. Bye. Bye.